Good morning, Elevation. Good to be with you once again. For those of you who are joining us from outside of our community and might not be familiar with my face, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor of Elevation here in Waterloo. Glad to have you with us. Last week, I got an email that was a great start to a day. Uh, we're part of this kind of neighborhood network called Nextdoor, and someone in the group posted a photo, which we'll throw up on the screen here for you, with the caption, good morning, did someone lose this lady? The photo is of a cow tied to the front yard of the tree in someone's yard in our neighborhood. I was just kind of imagining that person waking up in the morning, looking outside their window and seeing a cow standing there. So the story emerged over the course of the day in this little chat group um, that apparently a truck was on its route to the stockyards and the latch must have been undone and this cow decided it is time to break free. And so it hopped off or rolled off the truck, we're not really sure, and started wandering through our neighborhood. So, I, I mean, just it's a great story in general, but then I was thinking about what a good illustration it is for this little series that we're in the middle of. At some point along the journey of faith, many of us come to a place where we can no longer stay on the path that we're heading in. We need to take action. We need to make a run for it. Anyone who's gone through the process of deconstructing faith knows exactly what this cow was feeling, like a whole new world was suddenly open up to you. I remember one of the first times I had that experience with respect to my faith. Melissa and I hopped on a plane and flew out to Calgary. It was 1998, uh, nine months before we started our student church, the embassy. We were there to take a look at a church that had a large young adults group and we were kind of learning from the leadership team there. But a friend of mine said, you gotta look up this other church while you're in Calgary and meet this particular pastor. And so Melissa and I went to that church and we were blown away by it. We'd never seen anything like it. Um, and uh, we got, had an opportunity to get together with the pastor an hour before our flight left um, from the airport. And we got together in that coffee shop and he basically saw in us an opportunity to start from scratch and build something really beautiful in a church. And so he challenged us and he pushed us to think about what our faith was all about. Our eyes were opened in significant ways that have had a lasting effect on how we have lived our faith out and how we've helped to build the community that we're a part of here at Elevation. In an article by Peter Wright, he says that believers from time to time need a break with their old ways of believing. Believers as well as unbelievers are in need of conversion. But along with our feelings of newfound freedom, newfound freedom come questions about what to do next. Because when the structure of our faith begins to crumble, well, it needs to be rebuilt. So this morning is the middle of a three-part series called Reconstructing Faith. Last week, I ended with an invitation to open ourselves up to the future and what God wants to do in and through us. So this morning, we're gonna to try to answer the question, or we're gonna at least try to explore the question, how do we rebuild what's been broken down and burned? In that same article by Peter Wright, he has this great line that faith is a most thrilling journey. Put on your seatbelt and clench your buttocks. Okay, so with that lovely image in mind, let's get to the Bible. Nehemiah was a Jew who served in the court of the Persian king Artaxerxes in the 6th century BC. He had heard news about the destruction of Jerusalem and it weighed heavy on his heart. I mean, this was his ancestral home and it was in ruins, but he refused to let the story end there. If you've experienced a crumbling of your faith, it's bound to leave you feeling devastating, but there's always an opportunity to rebuild after something's been lost and maybe even in a healthier and more lasting way. Now, last week's reading left us with the king granting Nehemiah permission to return to Jerusalem so he could oversee the rebuilding of the city. 
As our reading begins this morning, we have Nehemiah who is scouting around the city by night. He's going around checking out the kind of damage, but he doesn't want to be seen. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem, he writes. And this is how the rebuilding of our faith often begins, under the cover of night, responding to stirrings of the spirit, but not publicly, at least not yet. Nehemiah carefully examines the damage to the walls and the gates of the city because broken down and burned walls, well, they make people vulnerable. In the case of 6th century BC, Middle East, it made people vulnerable to attack from neighboring nations. But when our walls of faith begin to crumble down, we become vulnerable in our own ways, particularly in that risky kind of in-between stage where our old faith has crumbled, but a new one hasn't been built. And that stage often lasts a long time, years, sometimes even decades. Maria Popova writes about loss in general, but I think it really applies to what we're talking about here. She writes, anyone who has lived through loss will recognize in it the essential banality of survival. We come unmoored, then buoy ourselves up with the flimsiest of lifeboats, cobbled together out of any plank and rope we can grasp. I think about how sometimes we might uh, attach ourselves to a certain kind of leader or a church or an author, and we say like, they know what's going on, I'm gonna hang on to what they have. And that's, that's a, an okay way for us to do in the start because we're just really treading water. But it also doesn't mean that there's no value in what has been left standing. Even when things crumble in our faith, there's still value in what is there. I saw a beautiful image, a, a beautiful and also kind of haunting image this week of something known as a ship breaking yard. Now, in light of COVID-19, the cruise industry, as you can well imagine, is not doing very well. And so some of these boats that are older, they just realize there's basically no point in trying to maintain them. So they send them to these shipbreaking yards where they are dismantled piece by piece. Now, one of the interesting things I read in an article about this is that in the past, ships could expect to last for decades before ending up as scrap. And I thought that's kind of what it was like in previous generations of Christians, I think. I think in the past, faith was more stable than it feels like today. Today, it seems like change is happening at a more rapid pace. So what happens is these cruise ships are brought into these yards and they begin to be torn apart piece by piece. Whatever is of value is kept or sold or repurposed. And I think a similar kind of thing happens with our faith. Even as the original structures of our faith begin to crumble, there's always value there and we wanna hang on to those parts. This is often what it feels like when the rebuilding process begins. What are those valuable parts that I should hang on to? And so Nehemiah discreetly examines the walls, formulating a plan to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. A number of years ago, I was at a retreat center, also out in Calgary, as it turns out, and I was having a conversation with a number of kind of pastors and leaders from around North America, and, and I was like the young kid in the room. I was a number of years ago, if you can believe it. Um, and someone asked me, they're like, oh, Brandon, like, like you're young and, and you're part of, you know, your church is just new. Like, you must be part of this, um, this emerging church movement that's happening. Now, if you've been around kind of an evangelical-ish church environment for 15 or 20 years, you'll be familiar with that language of the emerging church. Because in that window of time, there were pastors and leaders and writers and thinkers who were trying to imagine a new kind of Christianity, a new kind of church. And it took on this label of the emerging church. Um, there was a lot of kind of kickback at the time from established and traditional churches. And so someone was wondering, like, what did I think about this? Surely I must be a proponent of this emerging church. And I remember my response. 
I said, I guess there are two ways to think about what it means to be an emerging church, to have an emerging faith. I said, the one is like, this image I have in my mind is of someone with like a machete hacking their way through the woods and just like bursting out of the forest into this field. I think, I think that's what I see in some of this movement. And I said, to me, that's not very attractive because I think a faith that is just kind of like cutting down whatever came before it and just I'm charting new courses and I don't care who gets hurt in the process. I said, I see some of that and I hear some of that and I don't think it's healthy. I said, the kind of emergence that I identify would be more like a baby being born, emerging from the womb of the mother. I said, I think it's a healthier analogy because the baby has both DNA of the mother and the father there. It's, it's not a new creation, this child. It actually takes the best of the people who came before it, so to speak. And it begins a new life and it will grow into its own person, but it always carries something of value of the past with it. And I said, that's the kind of church that I want to build. I, I want to be a new kind of church. I want to be a new kind of follower of Jesus, but I also want to hold on to the best of what came before me. You see, the posture that we have during our rebuilding of our faith, I think it says a lot about what's happening in us. I listened to an interview with Pete Rollins this last week, and he used this phrase, the narcissism of small differences. And basically what he was meaning was that when we're only a little bit different from someone else, we blow up and exaggerate those differences. And so I think many of us, as we kind of began to um, set aside certain elements of faith, we begin to kind of exaggerate the differences between us and other followers of Jesus and other churches. And we need to be careful that we don't find ourselves in the process falling into some of the same patterns only in different forms. We didn't like the, the, the certainty of faith, and, but then we become absolutely certain of our, of our new position. We didn't like the judgmentalism, but then we become judgmental of people who are judgmental. Uh, we didn't like the way that, that they excluded these churches or people ex would exclude others but then we find ourselves excluding them from our kind of new found version of faith. I think that cynicism is like a normal early stage of building, rebuilding faith. Um, and I, I don't think we can really avoid it. I certainly remember that that was, there was a season in my life of faith that I would have defined kind of what I believe by what I didn't believe. So I think that's a normal early phase, but we have to grow and mature out of that uh, as quickly as we can. We need to move beyond cynicism into something more constructive. And move is really the key word in that sentence. Oliver Wendell Holmes once wrote that a mind that is stretched by new experience can never go back to its old dimensions. Movement is part of what this journey of faith is all about. So, what if the burning down of an earlier version of our faith isn't as disastrous as it sounds? What if it's the only way for our faith to truly grow and flourish? I had a friend, uh, have a friend, but a number of years ago, I, I think this, as the story goes, it was the first time him and his wife were away for a weekend uh, after their, their child had been born. Um, I think that's how the story goes. And they were away for the weekend and they got a phone call that their house had caught fire. Now, can you imagine? It's like you're, you're finally trying to get away, you're finally trying to escape and you get the call, I'm sorry to ruin your little weekend away, but your house is on fire. Now, I actually never saw their house, uh, the inside of their house before the fire, but I saw it after the fire. And I'll tell you, like, there's no way that when they got that phone call, they were thinking anything positive. I'm sure they were very concerned and very worried. But I'm telling you, the money that they got from the insurance company to rebuild this house, it was beautiful. They had the most beautiful flooring, brand new kitchen, all brand new furniture. I was thinking, you know what? Like, maybe when something burns down, it's not actually the worst thing in the world. But the rebuilding process can be a challenge. 
I remember this conversation years ago in our formative years of elevation where a number of our leaders, we were sitting in a living room of someone's home and we had this conversation about like, it's all well and good to deconstruct faith, but how do we rebuild it? We just didn't know what it meant for us to rebuild a faith that made sense to us. Now, last week, I gave a number of examples of how certain elements of the way I previously understood faith began to lose their resonance. So what I wanna do this morning is just look at a few examples of those talk about the problems that deconstruction led to, and then how we have chosen over the years to respond as a church community. Some of the language I'm gonna share here comes from a preamble that I wrote to a section of our website called How We Believe, so you can find more there. So one of the things that I noted last week that I began to struggle with at some point in my faith journey was the absolute certainty about things that I had and the people around me had. Things were black or they were white. Things were right or they were wrong. There was no middle ground, no nuance, no mystery in the middle of it all. Now, when you let go of that as part of your faith, understanding of faith, some other things come in its place. Uncertainty, because now you don't know what's right or wrong. Uh, the risk of compromise, because if you don't know what's wrong, maybe you're gonna end up compromising your faith as a result. And division, because if we don't all agree on what is right or what is wrong, um, if we don't agree on what is black and what is white, then we're gonna have conflict and division within one another. So what we developed over the course of our, of our time as a church community goes a little something like this. We have chosen to live with firm but permeable boundaries where we clearly articulate our corporate theological commitments while also allowing for the free flow of ideas. We believe it's possible to have unity without demanding uniformity. So another example that I gave last week was the emphasis that a church environment that I would have been actively a part of in the past, the emphasis that we would have had on people being either in or out, that you're either in the church or out of the church, in faith or out of faith. Now, when you kind of take away that distinction or that at least very clear distinction, what you end up happening is people who, there's a lack of shared values. There may be a lack of shared priorities, a lack of shared beliefs, because if you're allowing this diversity of people and that's kind of what happens as a result. And so part of how we have responded again as a church community is to say that those who believe differently are still able and are in fact invited to contribute to the theological vision of the community as a whole. So instead of saying you're either in or you're out, you can kind of be both in and out at the same time and still be an active contributor to what we're doing as a community. And one more example from last week, I talked about the formulaic understanding of salvation, this idea of saying a prayer and that being the kind of demarcation point for the beginning of your faith. Now, one of the things that you lose that I lost in giving that up, uh, giving up the belief that that is the thing that makes someone in or out, um, was a distinct marker of decision. And admittedly over the years, I've received criticism from different people from, for not pushing people enough to make a decision to follow Jesus. And so part of how, again, we have evolved our understanding of this in the context of our faith community would be to say that the life-giving center for elevation is not a particular statement or belief, but a trusting way of life rooted in Jesus. And so we're not inviting people to say something or assent to some belief. We're actually inviting them to join a journey of following Jesus in community. Stanley Grenz has this great line. He says that theology is the community seeking to understand the faith they share. And that's what we've been doing over these last 19 years together. We've been seeking to understand the shared faith we have and to try to articulate it and invite others into it. 
Now back to Nehemiah. He knew that he would have to inspire others to be with him on this building. Again, theology is the community working together. Nehemiah knew that he needed to be working together with others. It was not something that he could do on his own. In chapter two, verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, chapter three of this Old Testament book provides the details of exactly who built each section of the wall. Um, these people built from this gate to this gate. These people built this section of the wall. Everyone had their assignment. Everyone had their role. Everyone had a role to play and they worked together to get the job done. It's important for us to do this rebuilding together. Last Sunday after the service, we had a great conversation in our neighbors group and I felt pretty um, guilty about cutting it off as early as I had to. And I realized that not everyone um, participating in the service this morning um, feels either comfortable in that environment or, uh, or maybe the timing doesn't work if you've got little kids who are clamoring away for some food. Um, so actually this Tuesday night, uh, I'm gonna set some time aside for us to gather online for a video call to engage in some conversation around that. You can find the link in the Stay Connected page of our website and at least I'll be there looking for some good conversation as we continue to process this idea of rebuilding our faith together. In Nehemiah 4 verse 3, we read about another thing that happens during our rebuilding of faith. Tobiah the Ammonite said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So we need other people working with us, but the other thing that's pretty much guaranteed in this rebuilding process is that people are going to discourage us. So Tobiah comes along and he's like shouting out insults that everyone can hear, trying to discourage the people who were working on this thing. And I can practically guarantee that as you try to rebuild your faith, you will have Tobiah standing on the ground, discouraging your work. And I'm sure that you might be able to come up with an example or two of those people in your life. Now, I wanna go back to the cow that I started off with this morning. Um, so I told the story and this cow was, uh, about how the cow was tied to the tree in this person's front yard. Well, what happened next? Um, Melissa's part of a Facebook group in our neighborhood and she told me, she's like, oh, actually, I, there's a, someone in the neighborhood posted a video of the farmer kind of trying to get the cow back into the truck. And so there's this video clip of the farmer kind of pushing the cow, but the cow's like kicking and, and like, I'm not going, I'm not going. Like there are people who will try to force your faith back into where you came from. And we need to do everything we can to fight against that urge or that pressure. And so Nehemiah did continue, despite the discouragement, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked at it with all their heart. Nehemiah's mockers, Nehemiah's mockers, once again, they return to distract him. And I love the way that he responds. This is something you can just keep this one in your back pocket. He says, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? People are gonna try to stop the work of rebuilding our faith and we need to make sure that we don't allow those voices to win out the day. The more actively engaged that we are in the process of rebuilding our faith and the more connected that we are to others, the less prone that we will be to distraction and discouragement. In the middle of chapter six, Nehemiah prays, to, the, to God, now strengthen my hands. Now back in May, a family in our church, Gary and Mel Martin and their family decided that because they didn't have a whole lot else to do during the pandemic, that they would tear their house to the ground. And so they did, they destroyed their home, they tore it all the way to the ground. And over the course of the last few months, they have rebuilding it. They laid the foundation, they framed the house, and now finally the finished product is there and they moved in last week. So congratulations guys, very excited for you and very impressed. Although 
not as impressive as Nehemiah's feet because Nehemiah and his companions, they built that wall all the way around Jerusalem in only 52 days. Would have been nice if you could have had your house done in 52 days, but you know, a few months, that's not bad either. In chapter six, verse 16, we read that all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. God answered Nehemiah's prayer to strengthen his hands and God will answer ours too. I wanna turn our attention to a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter three. This is Paul writing to the church in the first century. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how they build. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, Paul mentions something that we shouldn't be, that shouldn't be skipped over too quickly. And that is the quality of what we're building. This is why I said sometimes that, that rebuilding faith, like it, it might take years, but it might take decades because we can rebuild a faith using like wood or straw or hay. But Paul also paints this vision of, you could also use costly stones and silver and gold, really quality ingredients to build up this structure of your faith. Now, next week, we're gonna take a look, a closer look at some of the places we can find inspiration to build the kind of house, the kind of life, the kind of faith that is worthy of the foundation that has already been laid. But any building that we do, any reconstruction begins with Jesus as our starting point, as the foundation of our faith, as the foundation of our life. In Matthew 7, 24, I read this last week, I wanna read it again. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now I wanna read you something that comes from our, uh, the connection that we have to the Jesus Collective. This is a, a network of churches and pastors and leaders um, around the world who are just getting off the ground, this relational kind of network of journeying together in faith. And it's all about putting Jesus at the center of everything they do. And I think that, that this paints a good picture of the kind of foundation that we want Jesus to have in our community and in our lives. Jesus is Lord. Everything about us starts and ends with Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith and the King of our kingdom. Jesus is God in the flesh, the union of God and humankind, our doorway to knowing, understanding, and experiencing God and our true humanity, and the model and means for our reunion with God. Jesus is the authoritative living word of God to us, and we submit to him as his lifelong apprentices, kingdom citizens, commissioned ambassadors, and beloved friends. Through Jesus, we get to know the Father and experience the Spirit. For all of these reasons, Jesus is the foundation of any kind of version of faith that we build. Now in closing, this week uh, I came across a, a podcast in my feed with the title, Our Faith Evolved Without Asking Our Permission. How true is that? It's just what happens. When you journey, go on a journey of faith, when you let critical thinking be a part of it, when you really let other people into your lives, things begin to change and shift and evolve and move. 
Daniel Miglior writes that being created in the image of God is not a state or a condition, but a movement with a goal. Human beings are restless for a fulfillment of life not yet realized. And so the rebuilding process of our faith is an ongoing, never-ending process. This is Thanksgiving weekend, and I think that we all have a lot to be thankful for. Despite things that might be burnt down or broken down around us, there is always an opportunity to build something new. And so I'd like to close our time with prayer. On the other side of this prayer, I'm gonna invite you to join in for some neighbors discussion. If you're not part of a neighbors group regularly or you can't find the link, there'll be a link in the comments section right now. But let's close together in prayer. Lord, we have a lot to be thankful for. We should all be thankful because we have heard the good news that we are invited into a life of faith in you. We're grateful for the good news that Jesus is the foundation of our faith and that the way is paved for us to be in relationship with you. For all these things, we give thanks. And God, I also want to give thanks for what we don't yet know, know, for the things we haven't yet experienced, for the place our faith hasn't got to yet. I give thanks for where we are going and I pray that you would stir up your spirit in us like you did with Nehemiah and call us to the task of rebuilding our own lives of faith, the families, our families' lives of faith, our community's life, life of faith together. Call us to that task. Help us to avoid the distractions and discouragement along the way and help us to have faith that you have good things in store for us all. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Peace to you this week.